Fall holidays are here with Halloween, the first of the big three. Does your family recognize Halloween and celebrate All Saints Day? Do people wear virtual costumes at work and at home? Does the Catholic Church still have exorcists and perform exorcisms? Plus questions from our listener mailbag. These topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Good to see you again, Bishop. John, of course, it's great to be with you today. You know, we're right on the doorstep of Halloween. It's here Uh, People are already wearing costumes. In fact, I went to a local department store the other day. I saw a bunch of kids running around the store already in their outfits. So uh, I know the kids are geared up for it. Yeah, you know, Halloween today seems to take on a little character, almost like Christmas, and that it's celebrated well in advance of the actual day. Yeah, I noticed in my neighborhood that a lot of homes are starting to get decorated or already already decorated, and of course, you go to stores and offices, and uh, you see the decorations everywhere. When you were a kid growing up, so did your family celebrate Halloween? We did. You know, we grew up on the south shore of Long Island in a very residential area, and that was a just a really traditional thing to do. It was safe to go out either after school or in the evening when it got dark and go out with your friends. Or, you know, when we were little, we'd go with mom and dad to visit our neighbors' houses, and it, it was just fun. It was something we looked forward to, and maybe it was a different day and age. I'm not sure, but... My parents still, you know, when we would get home, they'd want to go through our candy just oh, to make okay. sure. <laughs> who, who was the one that took most, mom or dad, that would raid your... Uh... <laughs> well, they claimed they wanted to make sure it was safe, but I sure. think they just wanted to pick out a few things for themselves, I think. Oh, okay, so if, if Bishop Parks goes to a parish, someone will flatter you with some Halloween candy. What would be the candy that you would like? What's your I, go-to? I would say... Some of my favorite things would be M and M's. Peanut that. or chocolate? Uh, just chocolate. Not okay. a, not a big fan of the peanut M and M's, but I do like those. Hershey bars, of course, would be good. Anything with chocolate, John. There was always the house that the kids seemed to learn because they gave out the good stuff. If you got the candy <laughs> corn things, eh, that was right. like eating wax. <laughs> but there was one house that we would always hit. They would always give out these little mini bags of microwave popcorn. Mm. Okay, and, that, that and sounds good. Word got out about that house rather quickly. Yeah. <laughs> then, of course, there'd be the house that they give you dental floss or, <laughs> right, or a little tube of toothpaste or something, <laughs> right. you know? So, <laughs> so in your neighborhood, Bishop, do you give out candy? Are you home to give out candy? Or do you have somebody there that, that you put the bowl out front and say, God bless you? And Yeah. You know, uh, I, I did it when I was um, in my, my last parish. I would do that at the rectory because, again, it was in the middle of a residential neighborhood. And I have done it certain years as a bishop when I'm home on that particular night. I'll tell you, though, John, you know, today it doesn't seem like there's as many kids, uh, kids as many children that come around there. There's alternate or alternative kind of events that they celebrate Halloween and get into the fun spirit of it. You know, things like trunk or treat or going to a shopping center or mall or something like that. So uh, maybe parents consider that to be the safer alternative. Have you ever been to a trunk or treat at one of your parishes or in the diocese? I I haven't, actually. Uh, It sounds like a very efficient way for a a kid to get candy, though. You know, it's it's all right there. There's not much effort. (laughs) I know some of our parishes are doing One parish in particular mentioned to me, don't promote it 
because it, it gets way out of hand. They bust people in from outside the neighborhood. Now, there's mm-hmm. another parish in St. Petersburg that's doing it, and, of course, we're promoting it, and that's what they're they're looking mm-hmm. for that. So I guess it's all in the demographic and where you uh, where your parish is located. Halloween, you know, we celebrate it. It's become a big secular event, but it really had religious origins, didn't it? It, it did, and, and also, you know, some pagan origins as well. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a confused history, and, and oftentimes Catholics will ask the question, is it appropriate <laughs> as a Catholic family, as we ask here. Uh, you know, to, to celebrate Halloween? And what I would say is it really has to do with the spirit of how you're celebrating. For, for me and for my family, it was just a fun day, you know? Uh, there was nothing, <laughs> no Pagan focus on right. the on the evil or evil spirits or uh, satanic things or anything like that. It was just kind of a fun day to dress up, either as a sports figure or some other popular figure, and go out into the neighborhood. You get to see your neighbors and to be with your friends. So, when you were a kid growing up, what was your what was your costume? You, you mentioned a football player. Uh, yeah, you go as uh, baseball players or uh, football was was real popular. Of course, uh, you know October, end of October up in New York could already be kind of cool out depending on on the weather. But of course, when I was little, you know, you go as like a cowboy or something like that. So it was just kind of a fun day, you know. Did did mom or dad dress you up uh, as themes with the three boys? You're going to be the three <laughs> stooges or the... No, we never did a, a coordinated theme okay, so uh, Halloween a... costume okay. <laughs> type event. Uh, so, uh, but I just, I, I just have good memories of that day. And it was something I looked forward to, as I think most kids do. Halloween comes from the word, I think, been derived uh, from All Hallows' Eve which is uh, coming up on uh, the, the day before All Saints Day. And All Saints is a, is a big day in the church, in fact. Uh, tell us a little bit about what All Saints really represents and, and why we celebrate it. So two things. Uh, November 1st, as you mentioned, is always celebrated as, as All Saints Day. And it's a day, first of all, for the church to recognize those men and women who were like us, you know, who walked the paths that we walked, faced the struggles that we face, but yet excelled. In, in terms of virtue and in holiness and love. And uh, as a result, the church recognizes them as saints. Some are publicly declared to be saints. Others are anonymous. You know, they're not publicly recognized. The second significance to the day is it's a reminder to us that each of us is called to, are called to be saints, that we are called to lives of, of holiness and lives of virtue, which may at times seem beyond our reach. Uh, which is why we pray through the intercession of the saints, those that are already in heaven uh, with God our Father and with our Lord, and um, again, can can through their intercession and their prayers can help us on our journey. Some people might, and we've talked about this before, get that confused with praying to the dead. It's like asking somebody for a favor. Hey, would you pray for me? I'm going through this time of difficulty. Right, or or somebody might say, well, why do I have to pray to a saint? Why can't I just pray directly to God the Father? As you mentioned, it's like praying to a family member or asking a family member who knows you well, who knows your struggles, to kind of intercede for you or to help you out through their prayers, through their intercession. One of the things we do at the pastoral center at the diocese on All Saints Day is have a— we invite at lunch, we have a kind of a staff lunch together, and we invite the staff to dress up as their favorite saint. And it's a, kind of an educational thing. It becomes a guessing contest. Right. So they'll tell a little bit about the history of the saint, and then we have to guess who it is. And um, it's always pretty interesting, John, I have to say. I, you know what? I've I've been here for 30 years. I've never been over there because our office is in a different location. Do you ever dress up? 
I, I haven't in the three years I've been here. I don't think I'll do that this year. <laughs> do you serve as a judge? Oh, well, I participate, of course. <laughs> and, uh, but again, it's it's uh, really educational and it's kind of fun. So, yeah. but uh, you know, John, if you were to dress up, who who might you be? Uh, what saint I, might you be? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I could go. I don't know what Thomas would look like. That was my saint name. Uh, that's my middle name, but it was also my saint name because I'm always questioning things. Okay. All so right. I, I kind of took that on. Uh, see, a, I see more maybe John, more like a, a John the Baptist figure. Yeah, you know? scraggly outfit, <laughs> disheveled, sort of the pig pen you know, of the saints. <laughs> eating, eating locusts and wild honey, you know. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'll do that too. <laughs> oh, man. So who was your saint? Because we're when we when we think about the saints, uh, we're also kind of into the confirmation season. And so all of the, the, the confirmandi choose a name as someone that they admire and they take on that that trade, I'll call it. Uh, who was your saint when you were confirmed? Well, I'll give you three saints that um, kind of have a special significance in, in my life. Okay. My Well, first of all, my confirmation name was John. And so you say, well, is it John the Baptist or John the Beloved uh, Disciple? John of the Cross. <laughs> or John of the Cross. There's a lot of different options. I always uh, chose John the Beloved Disciple, you know, the one that was close to the Lord and you know, stayed with him. Uh, but I would also say uh, St. Francis, like many people, has always, for some reason, had a special place in my heart and in my prayer life, maybe a, a, an appreciation or attraction to his simplicity and his humility, his poverty. As an example, I would say certainly my name saint, uh, St. Gregory the Great, who lived, you know, back in the sixth century, was Pope from 590 to 604. So you uh, got that down. AD. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to get that answer. Uh, and um, so he was somebody that I've always, because he was known to be a person of wisdom and, and knowledge. And uh, so I've prayed for his intercession. And in fact, he's buried at St. Peter's under one of the altars there. And oh, so wow. whenever I visit St. Peter's, I always visit that altar and say a prayer asking for his help. And then finally, uh, more of a current kind of modern-day saint would be uh, St. John Paul II, just because I've met him a number of times, and to think that you actually met somebody who was who was a saint. And I just had a great respect and admiration for his ministry as Pope. He was just so there for the people and uh, such a great intelligence and wisdom. I mean, his writings are, are, are vast and just full of wisdom and knowledge. So, uh, so he's somebody that I often think about as well and pray for his intercession also. He's also buried in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. So would that be generally where most popes would be buried, or would they have to be saints in this day and age now? No, they could be buried in the basilica. Most of them, are certainly more modern-day ones, would be buried either underneath the basilica or if there's a devotion to them or they begin to have a following Sometimes they'll move them from <laughs> yeah. from the from the grotto or underneath the basilica up to the main basilica area. Uh, I can tell you, having visited uh, Rome recently, that the altar where Saint John Paul II is buried, where his body is, uh, is a very very popular spot. There's always I'm a crowd sure. there uh, who's praying and and wanting to visit that spot. And, and of course, you know, speaking of Saint Peter's, the reason it's there is. Because Peter is there. <laughs> sure. That's where his remains, his bones are uh, under the main altar there at St. Peter's Basilica in what we call the Confessio. And uh, so that's always appropriate to, to make a visit there as well. And following All Saints Day is All Souls Day. A little bit different feel to that one. What's the big difference? 
Well, of course, All Saints Day, we, we recognize and celebrate those that are already with the Lord, who are saints in heaven. All Souls Day, we pray for those that are still on their journey. So those that have have left this world, but maybe are still in that period of purification or what we call purgatory. And so they need our prayers. And one of the main ways that we assist those, uh, our loved ones and those that are still in that period, is through the celebration of the Mass, which I've said often is the most powerful prayer that we have, because we celebrate the very mysteries by which Jesus Christ saved us and made eternal life possible. Actually, a priest, uh, unlike other days, is actually has permission to celebrate up to three masses on that particular day for uh, for the deceased. So when we go to a mass and the priest, either at the beginning or before the Eucharistic prayer, will say, this mass is in memory of, or we're praying this mass for, is that kind of the intention for the purgatory state? Yeah, so we, we, we call the Mass the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass because it was through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven and that eternal life, the resurrection, is even possible. So we, when we have Mass intentions, uh, somebody's name will be mentioned and they're prayed for in a very public and a, a special way during that Mass, that, that their sins may be forgiven and whatever weaknesses they may have had here on earth that the Lord will forgive those and that they'll be welcomed into the joy and the peace of heaven. It's kind of a sobering day. It is, but, you know, John, can I tell you, there's actually good news if you go to purgatory. You know what that is? What's that? Is eventually you're going to go to heaven. Oh, so, 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 so you're just sort of in the lobby. <laughs> kind of, of the... You're kind of waiting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Don't mean to make a joke about it, but, but that's uh, actually the good news about going to purgatory as opposed to the other alternative, <laughs> which heard... is eternal separation from God's love. I heard somebody Hell. say one time it's like a car wash. You've got to eat before you can go. You've got to be clean, and you go through the car wash, and then you're you're all set. Very very simplistic way to look yeah. at it. But. <laughs> well, it's an interesting image, and then of course there's martyrs. You know those that died for the faith, that gave the ultimate sacrifice, and made the ultimate profession of faith through their life. And we believe that they're in heaven as well because of the their suffering and also the the sacrifice that they made. Are all martyrs saints? Yeah, if, if somebody is declared a martyr, it's because they are a saint. Okay. So there be, that would be one of the reasons they would receive or be publicly be declared as saints is because of their martyrdom. martyrdom. Okay. The other way, of course, would be through their virtuous life. And there's just different ways that have to be looked at and investigated in that process, depending on if they're martyrs or if, um, or if they're looking at their virtue. So here in Florida, of course, you know, we, you've had on some programming from time to time about the cause of sainthood of the Florida martyrs, right. uh, and they would have been actual martyrs, so they would have died out of hatred for the faith. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's being investigated as we prepare that cause for sainthood to be sent to Rome. Okay. I want to go back to the purgatory topic. When I was a kid, and I don't remember hearing a lot because I didn't grow up Catholic, but I, I do remember the term, you I'm sure know the term limbo, and you know there was a, there was a question, okay, well, if I'm baptized, I'm pretty much assured of heaven as long as I don't mess things up. But if a, if a person is not baptized or it was an infant, there used to be this term limbo. What's the church's stance on that? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, of course, I have heard that, although it's not something you hear really anymore, to be right. honest, because it was never an official teaching of the church. It was kind of this, uh, uh, I say, mythical or made-up place where 
uh, unbaptized babies or infants would go as place of happiness. Sure. You know, however, you know we know from the scriptures that that Jesus loved children. You know, he said, you know, let the little children come to me. Don't keep them away, for such as these will inherit God's kingdom. So we entrust those children who maybe, unfortunately, and sometimes tragically, would pass away before they had the opportunity to be baptized. Of course, we we place them in the Lord's loving arms and care and believe that they are with him. So is that never really, limbo never really was an official, you won't see it in the catechism or uh, in the the catechism. Someone mentioned it to me the other day. I don't know how we got on the topic, but they said, well, it's limbo. And I'm like, man, I hadn't heard that term in a long time, (laughs) but I'll bring that up. You know, I want to go back to, you know, Halloween and dressing up in costumes. You know, I mentioned at the outset, we we wear costumes and, and we pretend for a short moment that we're that person, we're that athlete. Hey, it's look who's walked in the door. It's it's whoever, LeBron, LeBron James LeBron or, or whatever, or Superman, Tom Brady. Uh, but there's a there's an aspect that we can take from it. It's kind of a teaching that sometimes we put on our own masks. We're not the same person that we are. Let's say at church. Oh, look, he's all pious. He prays all the time. He's he volunteers at the, and then it's a different person when they go home or when they go to work. The, the persona changes a little bit. John, sometimes it changes in the parking lot of the church. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, right. To be honest, but you're you're exactly right. I mean, we we're called to live an integrated spiritual life, meaning that what we celebrate when we go to church inspires us and strengthens us to go forth to continue to live that life each day, not just when we go to church for an hour on Sunday and then we we go home or you know, we're with our wife and kids on Sunday afternoon and we're you know, a holy terror, you know, I mean, that's, that's not what we're called to do. It's kind of compartmentalizing our worship or there's a disconnect between our worship and our prayer and the way that we live our lives. I'll make a public confession. I find myself in that position sometimes where I'm a public figure, so to speak here at Spirit FM. And then I'll, I'll go out with friends. I'm at a ball game. Uh, I've even been called out by my kids before. They're like, you don't act like that. And I'm, it's a sobering reminder, I'll say, of, of where I need to be. But it's, it's a reminder that, that we all suffer from our weaknesses, and we're not perfect, and the Lord knows that, and that's why he died for our sins, that, that when we do mess up, when we're not that person that God created us to be, that our sins can be forgiven, and that we can go forward to make a new beginning and to make a fresh start. And uh, most of us, like myself, have to do that quite often. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so not perfect. Sure. And if we we can become so consumed with that that it becomes it overwhelms us that sin, which leads me to my next topic. And it was funny that we talked about it kind of at lunch today. The topic of exorcisms. Uh, does the diocese have an exorcist, and does the church even still do what I, we would consider an exorcisms? That's a great question, and it's an interesting topic, and something that that obviously Hollywood has Blown <laughs> picked up, up uh, sure. on, and and probably made a lot of money on, but but also caused a lot of confusion about as well. So to answer your question, yes, dioceses do have exorcists; those would be priests that are appointed by the bishop and receive special training to be able to perform the rites of exorcism or special prayers and blessings that are needed when somebody feels that they're being attacked or have even been possessed or taken over by the evil one, by Satan. The church actually has rites and prayers to pray with those folks and uh, to be able to give them back their freedom and return them to, to God's grace. 
Now, if a diocese doesn't have one, do you call a, a an outside diocese or experts in that? Do they have a book you can look that up in? <laughs> no, not in not like no, a yellow pages. I don't think there's an exorcist phone book <laughs> right, or directory right. that that I've seen. Although, if you Google it, probably you might find some on the internet. But I wouldn't necessarily yeah. write, recommend mm-hmm. going that route. But uh, yeah, if 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 we needed somebody uh, like right now, we here in our diocese in St. Petersburg, we don't have a priest who is specifically trained in that or been appointed to that position. It's something I'm interested in in doing to provide that when it's to the faithful when it's needed. But I would look to another diocese, so I might call a, a bishop that I know and maybe maybe a neighboring diocese and ask him if he has one in his diocese. And and I've done that actually. So uh, as long as the person is is trained. They know what to do. But the most important thing, John, is that the priest, the exorcist, has to be a holy person. They need to be a, a man of prayer and a man of strong faith. Because when you're dealing with evil and with Satan, uh, that's a powerful influence. And I can't imagine. Uh, it's kind of scary stuff. Sure. So uh, you need to have a strong, spiritually strong person to be able to do that. Well, and even our Lord was tempted. He sure was. And, uh, of course, he resisted sure. <laughs> those three temptations wore him of, out. Of, of Satan. But And sometimes I think, you know, it's not just those that are spiritually weak that get attacked. Sometimes it's those that are growing in their relationship with the Lord all of a sudden start to experience these spiritual attacks trying to undermine their faith and their love of God. It is a reality. We believe evil, sin, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's a reality in our world, and we see it often. And so the church does have a role in combating that and trying to assist those that feel that they're suffering. Uh, Switching gears now, I want to go to our listener mailbag. We received this comment or question from a listener from Nativity who asked, Is it possible to be excommunicated from the church, and who has the authority to do so? Do you have the authority to excommunicate someone? I do. Uh, as a bishop, you do as a as a penalty, uh, a penal measure for somebody that might um, commit an offense. There, in 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 the church, the law of the church provides different types of penalties. Some are what we call medicinal, which are meant to bring about conversion in the person or bring them back into the fold, and others are meant as more disciplinary type things. But then also, some penalties are imposed. In other words, by a bishop uh, as part of a judicial process, but then other penalties are automatic. So, for example, somebody who desecrates the Eucharist, you know, under law, canon law, they would incur an automatic excommunication. Somebody who attacks the Holy Father would be an automatic excommunication. But then a, a, a priest who attempts marriage but hasn't been released from his promises or his vows. That's an automatic excommunication. I didn't know that. So the canon law provides those. There's a whole book in the code of canon law on penal measures or penalties and processes that are followed, but sometimes they can be imposed as well. But but John, the the goal is always to try to bring the person back. You know, it's not just to punish them. It, it's trying to make them come to a realization of what they've done and how they've separated themselves. And, and try to welcome them back. So that excommunication then can be taken back if they repent and they they show proof that they've mended their ways. Exactly. I mean, again, we, you know, God is loving and He's forgiving and and wants nothing more than for us to be in communion with Him and uh, in His grace and and love. So uh, yeah, when somebody does recognize the error of their ways, they repent and they desire to come back. That is possible. Before we close out. 
you opened our luncheon today with a, a question. What's the good news? What's been going on good? What's been going on good in the life of Bishop Parks here in the last <laughs> couple of weeks? I know confirmations have started and you've been getting out a little bit more. So what's been good? I think a uh, couple things. That's a great question. I, I'm somebody that likes good news. I'm a hopeful, positive kind of good news person. For me personally, just getting back to my ministry, you know, as some, our, our listeners may know, I've had some foot issues over the, the months and that's limited what I've been able to do. So just getting back to my ministry, being able to visit parishes and uh, schools. I would say great news. Uh, just this past Saturday, we ordained eight new deacons for our diocese right. uh, at our cathedral. That was a wonderful celebration. And to see the joy and the emotion on the faces of those those men that were ordained and their families was very, very special. Courageously living the gospel, seeing that continue to come to life in our parishes. Today, I just today received uh, an email from one of our parishes, Queen of Peace Parish, and they were sharing with us ways that their parish is, is courageously living the gospel and specifically how their youth are leading efforts to have the parish courageously live right. the gospel. So those are all great things, John, that are happening. I just visited our seminarians down at the seminaries in Miami and Boynton Beach. We have great men, fine men, studying for the priesthood, so uh, there's a lot of hope there as well. Well, as we close out our program today, would you lead us in a prayer of hope for what's to come these next few weeks? So God, our Father, we, as always, thank you and praise you for your love and for your mercy. We just ask that you may continue to inspire us, to guide us, to provide us with hope that we may live our lives in a way which gives glory to you, in a way which is courageous, and in a way which gives witness to the world, to our faith and our trust in you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.